Welcome back for another week of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by Lavelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. It's a slow week in boxing. You know, we had a fight card this weekend with uh, upset. It's kind of a weekend of upsets you had, you know, just in sports in general. Packers being defeated by the 49ers. You had the top seed in the AFC uh, with the Tennessee Titans. You know, they lost to uh, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And then we had the big upset yesterday um, out there in Atlantic City. All right, since we had the upsets on Saturday and we're recording today on Sunday before we have the games that's going to be played, just for the record, so just to get your picks on the record, like in the games today, do you who do you have between the GOAT, Tom Brady, and the Buccaneers? They'll be playing the Rams. And then I think the later game is going to be the Bills versus my homeboy and the Chiefs. So let's go ahead and get your picks on record, folks. Uh, you know, uh, Matthew Stafford is looking good this year. And he's looking like a contender. But this is Tom Brady we're talking about. So unless Tom Brady has really, really – slow down uh, even more I have the bucks in that prediction and uh and the bills versus um Kansas City of course I gotta rock with Mahomes so I'm gonna rock with Kansas City on that one yeah I if you guys remember I, I went I bet against Brady in the Super Bowl when we made our predictions around this time last year I will not be making that mistake again um the bucks have they have some injuries but I just can't see myself betting against Brady. Um, and, you know, they got some dogs over there in L.A., but, we, you know, we, we, in the, we in the championship rounds, you know what I mean? So I can't bet against him. And then, you know, similar to Uvell, the Bills just got that track record, man, and, and Mahomes is, is proven already. He's, he's certified, and I just see them making it to the next step. Yeah, man, my, my little picks and brackets just went out the window yesterday, but I, I don't think anybody picked the 49ers to beat the Packers yesterday. Um, but you had some people who was going with old Joe. Like, you know, they, they thinking Broadway Joe is going to bring Cincinnati back to prominence, and he may very well. You know, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it this year, but he looks like he's next up when it comes to quarterbacks. But as far as the picks today, you know, I wouldn't put money on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wouldn't put money on uh, betting against the GOAT. More so wishful thinking. Uh, but I think that the Rams, they do have a legitimate shot. So I'm going to pick them to go coincide with the upsets that took place yesterday. I think that they have a front four that can put pressure on the GOAT. And I think they will do that. You know, you got uh, Donald and a few others. I think they match up good against the Buccaneers because the Buccaneers always have trouble against teams who have good front fours like the Saints. And I think that the Rams have a better front four than the Saints actually have. And then also with the addition of them having two linemen that will be out, that that's going to put them over the top. I'm not really high on Stafford. I think that he's going to give Buccaneers a few opportunities, but I think that front life H-E-L-L for Mr. Tom Brady. So going with, with the Rams, like I said, could be wishful thinking. 
And then it's a toss up between the Bills and the Chiefs. And the reason why I say that, because I like both quarterbacks, it's just they do a way too much ad-libbing for me. And, you know, when you do as much improvising as they do, you just never know when your luck is going to run out, you know. And so if I had to pick somebody, I'm going to roll with my homeboy. But those are my picks. Now, let's go ahead and, and get to some of this good old boxing talk that we we, we, we know for. You know what I mean? And um, we're going to start over there in Atlantic City. It's time to squeeze the juice out of this headphones. So what did you think about the fight between Mr. Gary Russell and Mark McSile yesterday? As you said, it was a, it was a night of upset. So uh, Mark McSile, he upset it. Gary Russell Jr. Uh, last night to win the WBC uh, featherweight title. Russell, he came in 31 and one with eight outs. Uh, he had some, you know, wins over King Tuck Namayar and Jojo Diaz, and he um, lost to Lomachenko. I guess Mark Masai was coming off that come behind victory over Julio Seja, where he was uh, knocked down early and came back to stop him. Now, this fight, um, Russell already stated that he was injured. He didn't disclose what that injury was, but as soon as the bell rang, it you know, pretty much present itself again, where we knew that he has, he was having some issues with his, his shoulder. So um, in this fight, uh, I thought Maxile probably fought the worst possible uh, fight of someone who, who won. I mean, because all the cards were, were stacked in his favor. You had Gary Russell. Uh, he was coming in this fight, of course, again, injured. He had just lost one of his younger brothers within the time period in the last time he fought. Uh, he's coming off a long layoff, and his head trainer, uh, who's usually his father, had to have his, uh, I believe, one of his foot amputated, so his father couldn't be in his corner uh, with him. Uh, and Russell, in his own words, said that he trained himself. So all the cars were stacked against Russell, and plus, Russell was fighting outside of his hometown, which uh, he doesn't normally do. He hasn't done in a while. It's probably since uh, Lomachenko, I think. So McSayo... Uh, he actually, Maxile actually started well. I mean, he was going to the body. He was countering uh, Gary's uh, punches with the um, uppercut to the body. And I thought that was working well. But then something happened. I think Russell was trying to, you know, get his jab working. And uh, he injured his uh, right shoulder, I believe, or right hand. He injured it even more. Um, so he had to, to result to, you know, moving and sticking and moving. And then it was interesting because I thought that, he was doing better sticking and moving than he was actually trying to stand in front, front of uh, Maxayo and try to fight. Now, um, Maxayo was still, you know, coming forward, you know, throwing some punches, um, throwing many, many punches to see what works. But he wasn't landing as well as he did in the first two or three rounds. Um, but Russell, uh, of course, he can only land that straight left. And that straight left uh, was when it was probably his sharpest punch that he was throwing. You know, he would catch McSyle coming in and McSyle was very reluctant to come in on Gary Russell. I thought I thought Russell did do a good job of, of sticking and moving the, the, the middle rounds. But I, I did think that his activity wasn't enough, especially in, the, you know, late in the fight, uh, say for, the, for maybe the 12th round. Um, so I thought that. Uh, Russell was very impressive in his performance uh, in his toughness. And I always said that he's underratedly tough. I just had McSyle winning this fight, uh, 115 and 113. And this was a close fight that I thought could have went either way. 
and I didn't have a problem with the draw or Russell winning, you know, 115, 113. Um, but, but again, I thought uh, Maxayo, it, it was weird that while Russell was injured, that Maxayo fought a worse fight and, and Russell was fighting a better fight. And I think that how that may play out again in a, in a you know, in a rematch, I think it's interesting how that would play out because if Russell in a rematch has to stick and move, I can see him winning this fight easy, especially with two hand, two good hands, two good arms and everything, you know, because Russell is kind of a stubborn fighter too. So I do think if Russell, you know, tries to outfight Maxayo or stand in front of him or try to like, look, I'm better than this guy, I'm going to prove it. I think while he still has a chance to win, I think it'll be a tougher fight for him. Because again, those first two rounds, I thought that he was doing, uh, McSide was doing better and Russell was doing worse trying to fight a certain style. And I thought when he got hurt, his defensive reflexes kicked in. I think if he used those, if Russell uses those defensive reflexes again, but just punch more, uh, he'll have an easier time. But again, I had um, uh, McSire winning 115 to 113. It was a pretty uh, interesting fight yesterday. Uh, you know, when it started, you know, I texted you fellas. I said that, you know, initially I missed the fight. I just saw that Russell had lost. And then uh, once I got up from that old man nap, I decided to, you know, take a look. And initially when I saw the fight, I didn't score it, right? And I haven't watched it again. Now, when I, just me watching the fight, I thought that Russell won a close fight. But again, I could be wrong because, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gary Russell. So I could have been giving him some rounds that he may have not won because there were a lot of close rounds in the fight, depending on how you judge the fight. I could see Maxayo some of those rounds that were close. You know, it just depends on what you what you were looking for. Um, you know, as far as like breaking down a fight, you you pretty much, you know, did that you know, did a phenomenal job of that. So there's no need for me to go through. I mean, if you saw the fight, you know that around the fourth round that he was noticeably injured. But even before I give my thoughts on that, I was just surprised based on the fact that he was saying that he was already injured. Like you, we didn't know what the injury was. The way he was fighting, I was just thinking, and maybe he was not hurt enough where he couldn't pass that, that he would have passed an exam, but I'm just thinking like, who, why would they allow him to enter a fight being so compromised, you know? And I know from Gary Russell's standpoint, you know, he's a dog, he's a fighter and he probably feels like he can, you know, overcome, you know, something like that and to and be able to defeat anybody in his and he probably was doing it. He wanted to make sure he got the fight based on all of the things that you mentioned earlier, as far as his family, you know, who knows the financial strain that those things that have been happening, you know, is putting on him financially. So, you know, that's probably a reason why he would enter the ring being so compromised, but it just baffles me that he was, you know, that injured and, they didn't decide just to push things back just a little bit longer in order for him to come into the fight a little bit more closer to being a hundred percent, you know, 
And so like I said, I, I don't, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what doctor, you know, would have passed them for a physical exam before that fight. You know, maybe they ended up um, contacting uh, with Dr. Uh, Kevorkian or, or, or Conrad Murray or somebody like that who uh, gave Michael Jackson the anesthesia, you know, to, to help him go to sleep. I don't know, but that's just something that, that, that I was thinking about. But as far as the fight is concerned, like you said, around the fourth, he was noticeably hurt. Um, throwing a lot of left hands. After a while, he didn't throw any right hands, definitely no right jabs or anything like that. I didn't see much of, of anything by the way of the right hand. So you knew that he was definitely uh, injured in the fight. Um, and also, I was really impressed with Gary Russell, like just showing that toughness that he showed throughout all 12 rounds or at least the time that he was visibly hurt and how because Gary Russell throws a lot of right hands typically in a fight, but just the, you know, at the drop of a dime, at the snap of a finger, to be able just to like shoot all of those left hands for a good eight rounds. Again, that was impressive. And to be able to dodge punches, I've never seen him fight in the left hand stance, you know, let alone for the rest of the fight, you know, in, in eight rounds of a fight. So again, you know, shout out to him for being a dog, being a lion, you know, having that type of, of heart. You know, and the crazy thing is, is that I just didn't see um, Maxayo really take advantage of that opportunity. But maybe the way he trained, how could you kind of be prepared for somebody who's going to fight in a left-hand stance? They wasn't doing that before. So that may have thrown him off. But you would think when you have a wounded fighter in front of you that you will put a lot more, um, you'll take advantage of that opportunity a little bit better than what he was doing. But he fought, you know, um, you know, good enough where the, the make that close. And like I said, he could have very well won a fight. I just didn't score. Um, I just thought that strategically, you know, he was doing some some bad things as far as like punching his left hand, left side. Probably something that he was practicing on, and, and it was hard to break those habits in the fight. And I thought that McSyle missed a lot too. But again, Russell's fighting that left hand stance. And he wasn't training for that. Um, but again, it was a close fight. I was impressed with Russell's um, heart. And then I was also impressed with his ring general. I don't know if, if McSyle, once people begin to talk to him, his promoters and his advisors, I don't know if he will necessarily be looking to give Russell a rematch um, after he consults with those people. I know now he's saying that he's willing to. I would think that Gary Russell would do a lot better in a rematch having two hands. And then also if he doesn't take his long uh, time off going into a rematch, I think that he would be less um, rusty as well. And so, you know, all in all, shout out to McSayo. You know, he, he's one of a, a new Filipino champion. You know, they, they have a lot of pride. You know, they, they um, really cherish the opportunities, you know, to have fighters that they can support. You know, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward in his career. And hopefully uh, Mr. Russell can get off the man soon and he can get back in the ring. And hopefully they'll have a rematch coming up in the near future. Yeah, you guys did a great job of breaking that down. I don't have too much to add. I'll just give a little bit of my breakdown. I gave McSayo the first two rounds. Um, but I, I figured in my head, you know, this is Russell getting his bearings and figuring out 
Masayo style after being out of the ring for two years. And the next two rounds, I gave them to Gary Russell Jr. And so, you know, unfortunately, he hurt himself in the fourth round, as you guys said. But just judging the rounds, it's like, okay, we're basically, it's basically an eight round fight. It's an even fight at that point. And I was disappointed in McSayo's lack of adjustments after the fourth round. I would have thought was somebody like Freddie Roach in his corner. To me, um, you know, in my limited experience in the ring, it only makes sense to go to your left if that fighter's game is to set things up with their jab and that hand is basically neutralized. It only makes sense to go to towards the hand that he can't throw with, but he just kept coming forward, which was leaving him susceptible for Russell to, to time him coming in forward, which cost him a lot of those rounds because after that round and, you know, basically for the rest of the fight, to me, to my eyes, it came down to a matter of Russell was stylistically, Russell was showing some excellent footwork, getting out of the corners, despite McSayo trying to walk him down. Russell, I thought, uh, say for a few rounds, Russell was landing the more, the cleaner punches. McSayo was throwing, but a lot of them weren't getting in. And then, you know, the crowd was making some, you know, some noise at some of them that was touching glove or, you know, not hit, coming in flush. But, you know, um, the, at the end of the day, Russell just wasn't having enough activity in some of those rounds for me to give them to him. I personally scored at 114-114 draw, but, you know, I wasn't mad at either one in terms of, like, it being 115-113 either way. Um, the way I was looking at the fight as it was coming along was, who do I think is a better fighter? Like, it, like obviously, like, Masayo won the CompuBox war. But fights aren't as simple as counting the punches landed, you know, like it's also what the eyes see. And I thought that he was busy, but was showing some ineffective aggression in those later rounds. And even though he won some of them, like he wasn't clearly the better fighter in some of them. And so, you know, that said, I'm impressed with Russell, you know, again, in my limited experience boxing, I don't think people realize how hard it is to simply just keep your guard up. And when somebody is trying to knock you out for three or four rounds, let alone 12. And so for him to have been able to look as good as he did, even after being injured for another eight rounds was pretty impressive to me, but you know, all in all, it was a good fight. I would definitely pick a healthy Russell to win a rematch if it were to happen, but you know, McSayo came in, and I wasn't mad at the result. Congrats to him and his camp. That's huge for him. You guys have anything else? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Will, you brought up a good point. Uh, and, well, a good question. Of why would they allow him to, to go in a fight injured? And this is kind of my hunch. I could be wrong on this, but I know when fighters, they fight their mandatory, especially when they fight it you know, maybe once a year. Uh, I think that layoff is really was was what forced him to have to take the fight because if he didn't or if the fight had to push back, if the powers would that be would have had issue with the the, the fight not happening on that day, he could have probably been stripped of his title for being injured um, because at that point it would have been what maybe a few years that he you know defend his title. And I know at some point they start to you know strip fighters their title who are inactive or can't defend it but that's just my hunch i'm not sure but good fight though 
Only the thing, you got something, Will? Dr. Kevorkian. Um, Conrad Murray was the <laughs> the only other thing that I'll add is we haven't said it publicly but we you know you guys know we do our end of the year awards and so we're adding at the end of 2022 the we haven't we don't have an official name for it but I'm keeping track of our predictions throughout the fights and so whoever gets the most predictions correct will get some kind of award we haven't figured out the, the specifics but uh, it might be the he be knowing award. I don't know, but all that to say, we all uh, struck out on this one. So uh, better luck to all three of us next time. We'll see how that goes. But moving forward, it is not yet box rec official, but um, is looking like the terms are being finalized to uh, the biggest fight there is to be made at the 130 pound division, the unification between Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez. Assuming this fight is to be made. Uh, what is you got? What is you guys' assessment? How do you guys see it playing out? Twenty is shaping up to be a, a really good year in a sport of boxing, especially for fight like it's made. Um, this is a great fight for boxing, great fight for the 130 pound weight class. It'll also be a great fight for Bob Aram in his uh, defense in the lawsuit that Terence Crawford has against him. Now, um, in this fight, you will have. The fearless one, Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez. Shakur is 17-0 with nine KOs. He stands 5'7", 68-inch reach. He's 24 years of age. Valdez is 30-0 with 23 KOs. He's 31 years old, 66-inch reach, and he stands five feet and a half inches tall. Also, um, one of the reasons why this is going to be a great fight is just stylistically you know it's just a clash between two different types of fighters you're going to have a southpaw versus orthodox basically a power punching kind of a brawler at times fighter versus a pure boxer um, so like i said it's going to be great stylistically when you think about oscar valdez he's known for his combination punching he has a lethal left hook as seen in his 10th round demolition of Miguel Burchell. Um, I mean, he's tenacious, you know, like I said, that punching power, he has a very high KO ratio for someone who fights at the lower um, weight, in a lower weight class. And Shakur Stevenson, that I like about him is his supreme confidence at such an early age. He's a master of getting hit, of hitting and not getting hit, which is basically the name of the game in the sport of boxing tremendous amounts of raw talent he's quick as a cat he's technically sound has great footwork great foot speed knows how to control the distance and doesn't use excessive movement to get the job done and he typically stands in punchy range of his opponent but with those cat quick reflexes um he's able to elude his opponent's punches when he's right there in front of him. And so that's gonna be, that's gonna provide some breathtaking moments because he's fighting someone who can turn your TV off at any moment, you know, throughout the course of a fight. Now, when it comes to a prediction for this fight right now, as we stand, I would have to favor Shakur Stevenson. And I would say probably 60-40, maybe even 65-35, just based on the style. 
Stevenson looks like he's going, um, he looks like he has all the tools to be next up, you know, as far as one of the greats in the sport of boxing, you know, maybe top five pound for pound fighter, if not, you know, eventually being a pound for pound number one fighter in the world because he has that potential. But you can't count out Valdez because for these reasons, one, he has that championship spirit. His power carries throughout all 12 rounds. He's skilled. He trains alongside Canelo, you know, in that Eddie Reynosa camp. And we can't forget that he's a decorated amateur. So he has that amateur pedigree. I see Stevenson winning majority of the rounds, but danger is always going to lurk, especially after rounds eight. Um, what I've noticed, not necessarily in his last performance, but Stevenson does tend to tire a bit. And you definitely have to keep those antennas up for all 12 when it comes to fighting someone you know, with the heart and desire of a Valdez. Valdez is going to be the best fighter, strongest fighter, most dangerous fighter, has the best stamina, um, and he's never going to give in, and he's capable of rock, rocking your snot box, you know, like I say, for all 12. So that's those are some of the things that Stevenson is going to be dealing with. And although you can't count out Oscar, I think Shakur will be up for the task. So I have him winning somewhere like an eight to four, seven five type of decision but, but no, this this will not be you know reminiscent to the mayweather Gotti fight which i'm hearing some people think that it would the main reason I, I don't think that it will be like that is because i think that valdez is still in his prime and most importantly i don't think stevenson packs the punch that mayweather packed when he was fighting at the lower weight classes before his hands became brittle but like I said, my prediction is an eight to four, seven, seven, five type of decision for Shakur Stevens. Yeah, Valdez is a very solid offensive fighter with the lethal hook. Uh, but Stevenson is an elite defensive fighter who also has a solid offense and is still feeling it to his body in a way where his power is becoming dangerous for anybody he fights at 130. Um, also, typically, I'm not one to read into too many things but you know stevenson was supposed to fight valdez at 126 but valdez vacated and moved up and then when asked about the idea to fight um this was shortly after uh navarrete beat joe at gonzalez late last year in the fall uh bob aram was asked about it and aram outright said that valdez camp didn't want it which was why the, uh, the idea of the valdez versus navarrete fight was being proposed I'm not going to make any assumptions about those facts outside of this. Valdez can't see something in Stevenson that they don't like. And so maybe there's this mental hurdle that Valdez will also have to overcome. Another thing that I take into account is that this was a stat that I found, but through the end of 2020, at the time Stevenson was 15 and no, he had outlanded all his opponents 1,249 to 351 punches. And then in 2021, he fought Nakathila, outlanded him 114 to 28, and landed 46 of his punches, 46% of his punches compared to Nakathila's 12%. When he fought Jamel Herring, this was a step up of competition for him at 130, his biggest test. He outlanded him 164 to 87 and landed 31% versus 20%. All that to say, he's very hard to hit, and I think Valdez is going to have similar problems. Uh, versus someone like a Burchell. You saw a little bit with Conceicao being 
uh, a little bit more elusive than Valdez maybe have accounted for. And so, you know, taking all these things into consideration, um, you know, obviously the chance to get clipped is there, but I think I see Stevenson wanting the sound decision in his unification fight. Yeah, uh, you fellas make some 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 great points, and, and some of them were the points I would would make uh, for this fight. Um, I do have Stevenson. Uh, I would bet on Stevenson in this fight. Uh, yeah, it would probably be 60-40. I do think Valdez does bring some things to the table that uh, could make or break Stevenson as far as it could get Stevenson in trouble, but we could also see Stevenson rise to, to the occasion and proof who he is because like you said danny his his uh his uh the rate that fighters land on him versus what he lands is, is incredible so i do think that that, that may come into play because he's going to be on his he's going to have to be on his guard against and raise his game against someone like uh as, as, as good as valdez because valdez is uh i don't think Valdez. i mean at first i used to look at valdez as kind of like you know the typical you know come forward look for punch type guy but he does have an amateur degree and he does you know he's a thinker in the ring too you know he, he does place his punches well and places his combinations as well and he, and he can move so it'll be interesting to see you know how this fight plays out when it happens but i do think you know stevenson of course he has that he's a longer fighter than valdez you know he's taller he's a little longer and and he is a defensive fighter so um i can see him his whole game plan being to nullify Valdez, and I can see that he can frustrate Valdez in in that fight. So, um, I would predict Stevenson to win a, a unanimous decision over Oscar Valdez. But like as you said, Danny, that, I mean, there's a reason that that Valdez was wary of, of Stevenson. Now, if he was the type like I want to get in the ring with him, and he was and he seemed more confident in that, I can see that plan out a little bit better. But I do think mentally that that does play a factor. Anything else uh, y'all um, got to share? I, I want to um, just mention a few things. One, see what with, with Valdez. I'm. I don't. I wasn't really looking at his response to Stevenson earlier um, when Stevenson was calling him out, but I can understand. He was reluctant on facing Stevenson at the time because he had certain goals that he was attempting to accomplish, right? That Bershelt fight was the one that he wanted. And when I listened to him speak, it didn't sound like it was something that was just a facade. It was for gazy. It sounded like that he set up his goals. So although Shakur had been calling him out, I didn't think that it made sense at the time for Valdez to necessarily respond and go after Stevenson when he wanted Burchelt and he wanted the WBC belt. He was talking about how when he was a child that that's all he ever wanted was to be able to get that green belt. And the fact that he had the history with Brashell, how Brashell used to talk down on him because he thought that he was being um, had a silver spoon because he had that amateur success. And Brashell didn't have an amateur success, but Brashell 
felt like he was way better than him in the pros. And he had to prove not only to Burchell, but the Mexican faithful that he was the better fighter. And so that was his goal. Now, if he goes into a fight with Stevenson, not that he's necessarily afraid of him, but the fact that that's going to be a difficult fight and that's a better fight for him if there's more stakes on the line. You know, his, his profile gets up a little bit more and then he has his belt, Stevenson has his belt. Then that's more um, along the lines of something that he can feel satisfied and he can feel like it's worth his while more now. And so that's the way I always looked at him and how he looked at Stevenson. Not that he was necessarily afraid of him. It's just more so, you know, the order of operations that he was trying to follow. Now, because what I'm hearing him talk now, and, and, you know, they're talking about making a fight, he seems like he's all for it. You know, he wants to smoke. It doesn't seem like it's coming from a fake place. It seems like he really, okay, you want this? Let's go ahead and get it. So I don't think that coming into the fight is going to be some psychological advantage that Stevenson is going to have. I think the psychological advantage is once he gets the wing of those shots and he's missing, he's going to be frustrated. And But, again, a fighter like Oscar, he, he although he may be frustrated, he's never going to stop attempting to figure out a way to land something of significance against his opponent. The last thing I'm going to say is the fact that, to me, I didn't think, I thought that fight with him and Robeson could say Seattle. It could have went either way. But what I was impressed with is the fact that he was down maybe five, six and like he started to nail Conceição towards the latter part of that fight. And although his punch percentage accuracy rate may have been low, he started to figure it out towards the latter part of the fight. And there was about two or three fights in his career where he kind of down, but then he begins to come back. Now those fighters aren't Stevenson, but the fighters that Stevenson has been facing isn't Oscar either. So that's the dilemma that's the, you know, thing that, you know, just trying to put these fighters together, like what's the likely scenario that's going to happen. That's why I favor Stevenson. But, you know, I think that Oscar's definitely a live dog in this one, just based on those things that I mentioned. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the only thing, so I wasn't tripping off when he, when he vacated at 126 because, you know what I mean? Like that, that is what it is. You know, like if it's not his best interest, it's not his best interest, but you know, um, it was just interesting to me. Like it came back in the forefront of my mind after Stevenson looked the way he looked against Herring. And then, you know, you interview and, and Bob Aram, you know, he, he's good for, for a lot of lies, but you know, we, when they interview him about the fight and he just said straight up, like he doesn't want it. Um, you know, for me, it was like Valdez. What what does Valdez want at this point that could be more lucrative than the unification if he's already got what he wanted in fighting Burchell and then getting that WBC? So that's the only thing that made my ears perk. But, um, uh, but no, I, I, I see what you're saying though. Oh, uh, well, I think what Bob was doing, and I don't know how much what, what Oscar had to say about it, but he probably was, was for it. But remember, they were trying to push that Navarrete fight they thought was going to be big. It didn't make sense 
because you got a guy right there in his weight class that has a belt and you know why wait for this you know have this guy come up from a lower weight class who's coming up who already came up for a lower weight class but that was something that bob was pushing and then he was talking about having Shakur face Lomachenko or whatever who's not in his weight class so you know bob was throwing that that out there recently I never heard Oscar mention that, but I don't know. Maybe he was telling Bob, you know, let's go ahead and make that fight as opposed to Stevenson. I just didn't hear it, so I can't really put that on. Yeah. That's all I got, though. All right. Well said. So moving along to our our next topic, uh, there's been reports that if uh, Errol Spence uh, defeats Godinez Ugas in in his upcoming fight, which in that fight he'll have the uh, WBC – IBF, which he already has, but he'll obtain the WBA title from Ugas. That after he wins these belts, he's going to uh, vacate the titles and he's going to move up to 154 pounds. To com- yeah, what are your thoughts on that? And in the event that he does uh, complete this, uh, will you say he's ducking Crawford or, or not? Yeah, I'm going to try to play devil's advocate here. I mean, I think the short answer is I think that even if he isn't ducking, um, that is going to be the public perception. For me personally, in an attempt to play devil's advocate, I think it depends on the event surrounding him moving up. Like, would it be because he can't make 147 anymore? You know, like maybe, you know, those injuries are taking a toll on him and he just, he's getting a little bit older, but, and he just can't make the weight as easy anymore. Or would there be some other reason that is forcing him to move up? I don't know. Um, but I think it'll be hard to say that he's not ducking. You know, this whole time he's been telling Bud to take care of his side of the street while he takes care of his. Bud pretty much handled whatever his side of the street had to offer at the time. And now he's a free agent. And if Spence beat Ugas, he would have taken care of his side of the street, except maybe, you know, Keith Thurman, which I personally think that ship has sailed. I don't really want to see that fight anymore unless Thurman just looks amazing. You know what I mean? This year. And, you know, the only other person would be Boots, who is a higher risk, lower reward fighter than Thurman, than Crawford at this point in his career. Now, the rumor is that, you know, after Crawford's win, some PBC executives said that there isn't any money in the fight, which is fair. You know, Bud has struggled with pay-per-view sales. But the question would be, who is he moving up to fight? Like, who who are the money fighters at 154? Because the only person that I think that could rival Bud Crawford money-wise at 154 would be Charlo. Now, is that happening? I <laughs> I don't see that happening because, you know, they're, tra- they're in the same camp. So even with me trying to give him the benefit of a doubt, it's hard not to call it a duck based on what we know at this time. You know, why not capture... He, he would be he would have three to four major belts in the division. Why not capture that fourth title in the division and become undisputed if you think you can win it? So, yeah, I, I will have to find out more information. But based on what I know now, it's hard to not see it being that. Yeah, I have to think about it even more uh, because a lot of it depends on, I mean, what is his goal to move that 154? Is he going to move back down? Is he doing a... Uh, Pernell Whitaker, when Whitaker moved up to fight Vasquez and moved back down, is he just trying to capture a title? Which even that then it will be difficult unless Charlo uh, vacates and move up to 160. Or in the event that 
Casemiro uh, uh, beats Charlo, then he will be the unified 154-pound champion, which is possible. And I can see that being enticing for Spence if that happens. Uh, then it brings up the question, uh, if Bud needs him, uh, is he trying to, to go Bud to you know 154 and say, hey, I feel more comfortable at 154, you can fight me at 154, which that still will be a, a big fight. Um, but I do, I do think it is, you know, questionable that, yeah, he's going to move up to 154 without capturing that one title, which will actually make him the unified for welterweight number one, number two. Uh, even, even, if, even if he doesn't become that, he's fighting Ugas before he fights Crawford, which isn't bad. I mean, uh, it'd be cool if he fought Ugas and then fought Crawford, but to fight Ugas and move up. I think it would have been better if he just fought Crawford moved up because Crawford is pretty much the bigger challenge than Ugas, and it brings more weight as far as, you know, all-time standing if uh, Errol Spence is able to defeat uh, Terrence Crawford. So it, it doesn't look good as far as, you know, the argument that he, that's saying that he isn't ducking Crawford because at, at, at the current moment, of course, you know, Crawford is going through his promotional drama, but I mean, let's be real, you know, many fighters have, you know, managed themselves into many fights and or promoted themselves into uh, many fights. Uh, yeah, Crawford's not a big seller, but at the same time, he's still that guy that's going to, you know, that's that's really the guy that, that question mark is always going to be what would have happened between those two if it doesn't happen, especially considering, that, you know, his tenacity in calling Aerosmith out lately, you know, you know, after his last fight uh against sean porter and then you know even going and beating sean porter to say uh yeah i i took care of somebody that they said i, I was afraid of or not afraid of but it's, i took care of somebody they said that was a a big challenge but then also you know the other social media stuff about you know crawford being online calling you know spence out so it will it will be questionable you know and then and i, I do know that errol spence is struggling with weight and, and, that, and that's, you know, I think that's a good reason for him to move up. But I, but if that's true, I would prefer that he would have fought Crawford instead of Ugas and then moved up and, and then Crawford and Ugas or, or whoever fights each other. And I think that would have been better. So I'm trying to figure out, is it yes or no? Sir? I say yes. He, he'll be ducking, ducking Crawford at this point if he moves up to 154, if he fights Ugas and then moves up to 154 without Crawford. So we got two yeses. I believe I'll provide the uh, objective perspective here and I'll go with the no, okay? The reason why I say Spence is not ducking Terrence Crawford if he decides to move up to 154, let me give a little bit of um, my opening statement. First and foremost, I used to see Earl Spence around 2015, 2016. He had to be about 25 years of age. And when I saw him, I was just so surprised that physically how big he was, you know, and how muscular he was. And so I think he was telling me he was in like 150 something. But so I'm figuring if you like 150 something close to 160, where is that? Let's say, for instance, he's 160. Where's the 13 pounds you're going to get, you know? to lose like what, what are you, you going to lose it from because every he's just was real muscular and he was on the treadmill i would do my workout 24 hour fitness off of 316 gram per time so i used to see me to see the doc too to chop it up with him and assign it 
uh, cool cat. But anyway, um, so yeah, I was just feeling this. Like I said, it's 2015, 16. The last time I saw him, or one of the last times I saw him, he was telling me he was about to fight Chris Algieri. He was it sounded very disappointed that that was the fighter that they wanted him to face when he was so gung ho on facing Keith Thurman. And he thought Keith Thurman was trying to, was ducking him at the time. Um, so anyway, so I had a conversation with them and I asked him, I said, how long do you think you can make 147? He said, um, he was like laughing and stuff talking about, you know, I can make it for a while. He said, I just like to eat though, you know, but he was also said, that he was gonna do it until he was probably 28. Now, I don't know how he could have known at that time that he just knew his body, but now Daryl Spence is 31 years of age. So he has to be struggling mightily to make 147. So that's one reason I can't consider this a duck. Now, as far as Terrence Crawford himself, he has so much going on as far as these this promotional issues, who would he be with in order to make the fight? Is he like, is he gonna do it like by himself, because he doesn't seem like he wants to like go with the PBC, at least like for one fight deal or anything like that. It, it, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like as far as his, his um, like contractually. And then also he talks about one in 50-50. What gives him the room to say that he deserves 50-50 when he does those mediocre pay-per-view numbers? So I think Spence is justifiable in somebody like Ugas because they're in the same, from the same promotional. The money split, Ugas is not like demanding the same type of money that Crawford is demanding. And so you don't have all of those issues and coming the contract that's going to satisfy both sides. The other thing the reason why I think Spence is ducking Crawford is because recently they've been saying that Jamal is in negotiations with Canelo. So if he's with Canelo, then he would be moving up to at least 168 to face Canelo. So therefore his belt will be available. So now you have his brother who's going to be facing Castaño and so win or lose, if he wins that fight, he'll have all of the belts and he can basically fight whoever it is he wants at 160 if he chooses to move up there because since he's the undisputed champ, he can pretty much pick any champion that he wants to face or he can fight for the belt that his brother would be relinquishing. So that leaves room for 154. Let's say, for instance, um, Castaño wins then that's an open door invitation to fight for the undisputed at 154 with the fighter who's with the PBC. 154 is basically PBC haven. So he'll go up there and won't have any of the contractual issues. He'll be able to fight in a weight class that's more healthier for him, more comfortable, especially, you know, as he gets older. So I don't see it being a duck in my eyes, based on, on those reasons. Anything else before we move on to the next subject? Yeah, I mean, me and you ran into him at the same time back in 2017, and, and he was a big dude then, you know what I mean? So that's why I said it depends because, you know, we just don't know enough to, to, to give an outright yes. But um, 
I, I would like to think that at this point, Crawford as a free agent, when you sit back and objectively look at your numbers, I would like to think that he would be more willing to concede on if he wants to fight that bad, he has to be more willing to concede on some of those things. And so, you know, we just don't know enough right now, but I can already, like I said, I think the public perception is 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 gonna be this duck, but you know, we'll see how it unfolds. Yeah, that was Amy Roofs. They had some really good uh chicken and waffles, you know what I'm saying? But I don't eat chicken anymore, but that was delicious. If you ever get a chance to go up to New York in the Harlem area, you know, go ahead and check out Amy Roofs. They know what's up in there. They said it's you know that cornbread come up, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> food was fine. Yeah, give them a look. And they got the interesting menu. You know, you can get the Al Sharpton. You can get the Barack Obama. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Yeah. But, I, oh, my, I, my bad, Dan. My bad. If, no. if, if, if um, Spence is going to continue to make 147, he better stay out of restaurants like that, though. <laughs> Real. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would still call it Duck because, you know, yeah. Errol Smith is a big guy. He's been having these weight issues, but he's had, you know, two years to, to try to make this fight. And even now, it, it, this fight with Ugas was, was even made before about in May, before Crawford even split with Bob Arum. I mean, we knew they was having problems, but even for the whole drama, even for this all happened, you know, that, that fight with Ugas was, I, I was surprised how quickly that fight was, was you know, talked about and, and made right after i mean it's suspicious that was made right after crawford called spence out so i mean and, and like you said danny public perception but you know i mean we won't get the fight that we want to see you know but hey you know boxing is a lot of disappointments but you know there's a lot of upsides too uh, then he need to go ahead and get rid of the lawsuit that he had against uh, bob arum he the one said that bob arum couldn't deliver the big fights Man, you well, fight, you fight well, with a lawsuit. You can't fight he, with a lawsuit. Nah, the fact that he's fighting with a lawsuit is what's in the lawsuit. Is he lying? Is he saying that, or, or is, is he telling the truth? Was he lying? Is, was Bob Arum, you know, not trying to make these fights? He was saying because it was supposed to be a good faith agreement, and he said that he wasn't actively trying to get the fights in good faith. So he must be lying. So then let's go ahead and throw the lawsuit out and, and award it to Bob Arum. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. It could be true, but you know what? Nah, Spence can fight him right now. Spence can fight him right now. With 50-50? You know, it can be 50. If you, if you want to fight, look, I, I watched Zab Judah take $100,000 to fight Corey Spence after, in the, when Corey Spence yeah. beat him. Mm-hmm. Zab Judah is the money guy. I mean, Corey Spence was a champion, yeah, and he did beat him. But Zab Judah is a way better seller and a way better, way more popular than Corey Spence. This dude, Zab Judah went to Corey Spinks' hometown for $100,000 to go fight him because he really – and I, I, I listened to that interview with Zab Judah. He said, I really want this guy, and I really knew I can beat him. So I took short money so, so I can get the long game. Sometimes you got to take short money and get the long game. And that even goes for Crawford. Sometimes maybe he might have to take that short game so he can get what he want to get. That makes no – absolute no business. I, I would never tell a man – to take some short money. I would never do that, especially when you already have put yourself in a position where you've done great numbers in the past. Like you've done great numbers with Mikey Garcia. You've done great numbers fighting um, on TV when he had like 6 million people. Now you referencing Zab Judah. Zab Judah 
it was an article a couple of years back when he was working. I don't. I want to say he's a janitor or something like that. But he was. He was not. He was not a janitor. He was living in Michigan. Let's clear this up. He was living in Michigan, and he, he obtained his nursing certificate. So he was going into nursing, and he was a nursing instructor, which I can never be mad at because he said that that was his dream to help people who are Alzheimer's. So it had nothing to do. Maybe it did have to do with financial issues, but in my eyes, he wasn't a janitor or anything like that. He was, working, he was living in Farmington. He was living in Farmington Hills, Michigan. If you've ever been in Farmington Hills, this ain't Detroit. Farmington Hills is high class. That ain't like Tommy Hearns living in Farmington Hills. You know what I'm saying? So I don't care if he was doing it in Beverly Hills. In the fact that I, I I don't know if Spence, you know, he got has land, you know, he he he's out there on horses and things like that now. It's all about financial security. So you want him to take short money. Short, no, 50-50. I didn't say short money. I said That's short money. That's short money. If I'm bringing to the table, I've had success in pay-per-view. The fighter that I'm facing does not have the same success that I've had on pay-per-view. And neither did Corey Spinks. Let me finish. Corey Spinks, Corey Minks. But, but he took that fight. But if he wouldn't have so taken that fight. Finish. Let me make my point, sir. Okay. But he has more financial success on pay-per-view than um, Terrence Crawford. He has more belts than Terrence Crawford at 147 pounds. Why am I going to negotiate with somebody who wants 50-50? And then on top of that, I will be having to give up more money because you're doing a cross promotion. So you got another promoter who's going to be digging into the pot. So why would I do that? It doesn't make sense. I'm saying when Zab you to beat Corey Spinks, right? He, if he wouldn't have beaten Corey Spinks, he wouldn't have gotten that Floyd fight for millions. It wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have taken that that fight for 100K for Corey Speaks. So sometimes you got... I'm not sure you... I, I don't know how accurate you that it is by him taking that fight. I don't think that that... I don't know if that's true. In his... In, in Zabdu's words, he, he said he took $100,000 to fight Corey Speaks in St. Louis. That's the Zabdu. It could be wrong. I could be wrong. It, Zab could be inaccurate. You know, he did take some shots. And then, you know... But that's in Zabdu's own words. But... Mm-hmm. You know what? We can talk about this all day, but in my eyes, if Spence doesn't fight Crawford, he would have been ducking him. That's my bottom line. I'm my bottom line is this, is that when you reach a certain level financially, it's so Floyd Mayweather took short money to fight or get a chance. Like he, he All the negotiations he had allowed Oscar to have in so he can secure that fight so he can become the man. So that was understandable at that point in his career. Once I've already had the financial success and I'm the one, I'm really the man in this situation, why am I compromising something that I probably, in the past, probably would have compromised if I fought Keith Thurman at the time that I was trying to face him when I was at the early fetal stages of my career. But once I'm up here, I have so much to lose and, you know, where... If I was going to take that approach, it would have been earlier in my career. Not now, when I'm almost on my way out. It just doesn't make sense. Arrows, duck, and tear. Back to you, Bob. <laughs> All right. So um, recently, you know, you got the fight coming up in February between the two arch rivals, uh, Kell Brook and Amir Khan. Um, just 
this past week, Amir Khan says that Brooke basically has a weak chin and that he's going to put him to sleep. The question is, do you think Amir Khan can KO Kel Brook? So him saying that Kel Brook has a weak chin, that's like, I, I don't know. That made me laugh because it's like, how kind of all people is going to say somebody has a weak chin, especially Kel Brook? Now, the question really is, now it goes back to the question, can he KO Kel Brook? I think it's possible. I, I'm not sure if he's just going to drop him and knock him out or anything like that. But I can see him, his, him, him having more activity and stopping Kel Brook because at this point, uh, American and Kel Brook is more a 50-50 fight because Brook has lost, I guess, so much over the years with his injuries. Khan, even though he has some brutal losses, um, with his last one, with uh, his last knockout with um, Canelo Alvarez, it wasn't like it was a brutal fight or anything like that. You know, he just basically got slept. You know, it wasn't a, a beatdown which takes, you know, life out of him. You know, he was actually, in some eyes, he was outboxing Canelo at some point. So if he still has that speed, I think, and I do think he probably lost some speed over the years, but if he still has, you know, more than 60% of that speed, he'll still probably, uh, he'll, he'll probably give more, Brooke more trouble than he would have. And, you know, and, and if this fight would happen, if this fight would happen about four or five years earlier or when Brooke was calling for this fight, he, I think Khan would be going to sleep. Now, that doesn't mean that Khan still can't go to sleep. Really, if I had, if you had, if I had to bet my money, uh, Kel Brook is putting Khan to sleep again, but still, it's, it's a closer fight. And I do think Khan does have more of a chance with this version of Kel Brook than, you know, in the past. But if, if you're just asking, can Amir Khan knock out Kel Brook? I think it's possible. I think he can. Yeah, to simply answer the question, yeah, he can. He can absolutely. Uh, I don't know if he'll knock him out like Cole, but he can stop Kel Brook because if you've seen Kel Brook, as of late, he seems to have trouble when someone touches that eye, you know. So um, even in a fight with Terrence Crawford, and I mention this pretty much every time I talk about him, that he's able to land shots, you know, from weird angles. And that's kind of where he gets his fighters into trouble because they can't really brace themselves and thinking that they're going to be getting hit that hard from some of those shots that he throws. But he really didn't put, like, a heavy amount – of force behind the shot that kind of got Kell Brook in trouble for this jab. So I can see Khan um, having an opportunity in this fight to be able to stop Kell Brook. Like I say, not necessarily put him to sleep, but I don't think that it's likely. I think the likely scenario is going to be Kell, the opposite. I think Kell Brook really could do some damage on Khan. And Khan typically does this. You know, Khan is one of those type of persons, type of people where it's either one of two things. It's, it's, it's either one or the other. It's, it's, do you think that Khan has like this tremendous amount of self-belief or is it more so self-delusion? <laughs> because throughout the course of his career, he's always had these, these grandiose ideas and self-belief in himself. Even after he, you know, he had this fascination with Floyd Mayweather. You know what I mean? He just seemed like, he made it seem like Floyd was ducking him and, you know, he just had Floyd on his mind. He, um, almost got starts by Julio Diaz um, several years back. He inked out a victory where Julio, old Julio Diaz dropped him in the fourth and he barely won that fight. He still is calling out Floyd Mayweather. He talked about Floyd after he lost to Lamont Peterson. So I'm still talking about facing um, him. And then also 
the man got in the ring and tried to fight Canelo for the middleweight belt. I know it's a catchweight, but he was talking real, you know, high of himself going into that fight. And we all knew what was going to happen except for Amir Khan. So this is nothing new to me as far as the delusion of Amir Khan. Um, it just seems now against Brooke, you know, at this point, you know, he's talking a little bit more spicy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because before when Brooke would bring him up, he would kind of ignore him. But it just seemed like within the past maybe month or so that old Amir had, had, has bought a can of heart. So uh, will he do it? I doubt it. Can he do it? It's possible. Yeah, I'm with you guys. When you look back and see what Bud caught him with to stop him, yeah, it's Bud and he has serious knockout power, but it was a short jab. He didn't get full extension on it, and he just caught him in that eye. And, and Brooke didn't see it coming. And at this point in his career, Brooke has had two orbital bone fractures and has been stopped by three heavy hitters. So, you know, on the other hand, though, Khan's only knockout at or above 47 has been against Phil LoGreco um, some years ago. So, I mean, Brooke's best at 137 has been better than Khan's best at 147, but there are serious concerns about whether he can take a clean punch to that eye and throughout the course of his fight, the safe to assume that he's going to take a clean punch. So um, same as you guys, uh, I don't see it happening, but it could happen. You guys have anything else? Nah, just Khan's going to sleep. Khan's going to sleep, man. Shout out to Errol Spence. He's not ducking. No Terrence <laughs> Bud Crawford. Terrence Bud Crawford needs to get his weight up, you know what I mean, get his contract situation situated, you know, like Dallas stand up. My man, man, Errol Spence, oh. You know, Oak Cliff, the DOC, Dallas Oak Cliff, you know, I got more for y'all out there. Don't be listening to Will Lavelle and, and talk about no duck on, on, on that side. You know, we out. No, we like, have a good week. You know, forget all that nonsense. Like what Juanita said in Dead President, he's ducking. Peace. <laughs>